It just sounds like a you know barrel of monkeys. It kind of is. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of five to fifteen introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at digitalocean.com. If you use the code AngularAdventures, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 87 of Adventures in Angular. Today on our panel, we have John Papa. Hello, everyone. Ward Bell. How did we ever get to 87? I don't know. Crazy, huh? And my personal favorite, way more than the other two, Lucas Rubelke. I was just going to say, Ward, we're talking about the episode number, not how old you are. Favorite. Love you. Love you, Uncle Ward. Oh, Hello, no, he didn't. Oh, Uncle Ward. Uh, oh, goodness. Wow. Well, a bad boy, Lucas. And moving yeah, on from there. Could have called your grandpa, Ward. <laughs> yep. Moving right along. I'm putting my, te- uh, I'm I'm putting my teeth in for this episode. I am. <laughs> we've, are, we've already completely derailed. And, I, and I'm your host, Joe Eames. I'm not much of a host because I can't keep these guys on track, obviously. So, today, we are going to be talking about style guides. Uh, the yes. Angular style guide, specifically, right? We're going to talk a little bit about the Angular 1 style guide, because everybody has an opinion on it, but we're mostly interested in talking about the Angular 2 style guide, and which is awesome, because we have John Papa, who has been tasked secret mission, CIA-level clearance from the Angular team to create an, work on and create an Angular 2 style guide. Of course, you can see all the work that's been going on in the GitHub repository, which is public, right? Yes, 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 you can. Okay. So, guys. I didn't realize it was a question. <laughs> <laughs> it was a question. Well, I was more looking for verification than really a question. Are you actively contributing to that, working in that GitHub repo, or are you kind of working outside of it and then occasionally going back to it and then updating it? So for Angular 2, uh, a lot of my musings about the style guide, I've been very careful, first of all, to not put things out in my GitHub repo that I'm not sure of. 
yet for the style guide. So it's kind of sparse at this point when you compare it to the, uh, the 60 pages of printed thing to the one style guide. But all the core things uh, that we, I think we can all agree as a community are important and can be decided right now are there. The things that are not there yet are things that we're working on with the Angular team to figure out what is the best way to guide people to building applications. Things like uh, naming conventions and folder structures and how lazy loading will work and all that stuff is being worked out. But the process right now is we have some internal Google Docs that we're playing with. We map out some ideas. We get some feedback from various members of the community and the Angular team. And then that kind of progresses uh, eventually into a GitHub repo, which we're determining the final resting place of where that'll live. Um, and one optional place that might end up is in Ward's hands in the documentation, maybe. Hmm. Interesting. So whereas before, was the Angular 1 style guide ever part of the Angular 1 documentation, or was it like just linked to? It was actually, I don't think it's actually even linked to it from the main Angular pages. I don't think I've ever seen a link there. But so I started, I mean, a lot of people may not know this, but the Angular 1 style guide, I think the first one I've ever seen was Minko. He created one a long time ago, before I did. Minko and Hatchev, you're talking about, right? Yes, yes. And then, gosh, I think it was two and a half years ago, something like that, uh, Todd Motto and I were talking on the internet about uh, Angular 2, or sorry, Angular 1 and styles, and how we had different ideas. And then we both had the same idea of, hey, why don't we publish this? And he put his out. And then I, we were, I was talking about maybe I should merge mine with yours, should I do them separate? And we just in the end decided let's have two different opinions on this and, you know, give people options. So we both put ours out there, I think, in the same month that summer. So now at this point now there's three style guides, right? Mm-hmm. And some people are like, oh, that's awful, you need one. And some people are like, it's great because I get to see different ways of doing it. You know, it's really each to their own. But that evolved. Obviously, you felt like it was better to have multiple. I really did, honestly, because my intent all along was not, this is a rule. I've worked for a lot of companies where my job actually was to define the rules by which developers would live. Otherwise, they'd be you know, thrown into the fire and never let back out. And I hated that. I mean, as a developer, who wants to tell you if you, ha- you must use four spaces for tabs, otherwise you can't work here? Uh, you know, things like that kind of bug developers, and I didn't want to be like that. I wanted to instead say, look, here's a roadmap that you can follow. And the community's contributed to this. These were defining as a way to guide you down to building good Angular 1 apps, but not just tell you what to do, but also tell you why. So you can learn how to think about the decisions and how they impact the rest of your application. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons the style guide that I put out there was um, has become so popular, because a lot of people feel like they have a voice in it. We've got 140 contributors on it now, so... That's kind of the, the, the soul behind what it was. Very interesting. So we've got the Angular 1 style guide. It's relatively well-known, right? I would say probably a majority of Angular developers know about the style guide. I have no scientific evidence to back that up, but I think it's pretty well known about. And I think a lot of people were expecting an Angular 2 style guide. And were there people talking to you right from the beginning saying, hey, where's the Angular 2 style guide? <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, the Angular one side, I still meet people who haven't heard about it and then they hear about it and they're very excited because they like having something. Uh, and right now I think it's the, it's in the top 75 GitHub start repos. So it's pretty cool that it's that popular. Wow. But the Angular 2 one is impressive. Yeah, the Angular 2 one's interesting. You know, Angular 2 is not out yet, right? It's not, not released. And what is a style guide? It's, it's a way to define 
experiences of how you build applications. Now, who out there has experience of building one or more, many of these Angular 2 applications in production? Uh, Crickets? Zero. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I'm I'm very hesitant to just slam one out there and go, hey, look, you know, this is what you do when you do XYZ. And uh, well, what are you basing that on, John? I don't know. I just had a great dream and that's what it sounded like a good idea. That's how you lose uh, respect and trust, in my opinion. So to me, it's important not to put something out there until it's at least been vetted in something I can feel I can stand behind, which is why what's out there right now, and I just augmented my uh, Angular One Star Guide, and I put my initial ideas up there. I created a draft and put the things in that I feel comfortable with right now. Uh, but there's still things that I've gone back and forth on, and, and Ward and I have batted some of these ideas around too. Really? Like naming conventions. Mm-hmm. So, Ward, uh, how many times have we changed naming conventions over the course of the Alpha and Beta with Angular 2? Well, a fair amount. But what's interesting, actually, is that it seems to me to hew pretty closely to what we learned in the Angular 1 style guide. So I don't think we had so much churn on that. Do you? I don't think there was a lot of churn, but I think it was a lot of thought when we did churn. Meaning, we might have only changed direction two or three times over a year. I mean, uh, during Alpha stage of Angular 2. But each time we did it, I remember very long conversations with you where we bounce around. Oh my gosh, you know, I wish it was easier. I wish, you know, how would be more descriptive? For example, uh, what we're proposing in part of the guide and working with the Angular team is if you have a component called, uh, I don't know, developers, the file name for that component would be developers.component.ts. Uh, so you would designate the dot component as part of the name of the file. Now, that makes it kind of lengthy. So initially, it was like, ah, man, I don't want to have to type that, right? I thought it should be developers, 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 developers. Oh, that's, that's just sorry. using the Steve I... Bomber syntax. <laughs> <laughs> it's components all the way down. And end in uppercase. So you actually have to kind of crescendo into that. You know, and you have to yell and sweat while you're doing it, yes. <laughs> but, you know, we, so we said that, and then, you know, what if you get rid of Kadak component? If you do that... It sounds great in a vacuum, but then, you know, like Ward and I were building these sample apps and starting to build larger apps, and when you do that, you realize that I might have a developer's data service, a developer's pipe or a developer's model or a developer's interface or a developer's component or a developer's directive, and you go on and on, and when you don't put some kind of name into the file name and you're looking at this in a large app with, like, you know, three, four hundred files, it instantly becomes impossible to identify what you're looking at, which does bring us back to the Angular 1 style guide, as Ward said. One of the concepts in there was I have to easily be able to locate and identify my code. I shouldn't have to hunt and peck through the files to figure out what is that. Right. So that's one of the reasons we kind of landed on, and we talked a lot with the Angular team and Igor and them about using some kind of extension on the file name. But you kind of reminded me of the tagline for the film Alien, which is that... <laughs> When you when you develop in a vacuum, when you develop in a vacuum, no one can hear you scream. When you develop in a vacuum, nobody can hear you scream. <laughs> you know, so, I hear that about a week when I go to the parks, by the way. <laughs> they play that inside one of the Disney parks. <laughs> so I think we both have sort of a bit of trepidation, and I think you expressed it, trying to put together a style guide for Angular 2 when nobody has any real experience in it. So let's circle back. I want to circle back around just slightly to Angular 1 and talk about you built it, but at that point, how much Angular 1 had you done, and then how did it grow 
from the initial version to like when's the last time it, some changes were made to it? So when, when I wrote the Angular One style guide, it was after about two solid years of Angular development. And in that time, so I didn't, what size of apps had you written in Angular One? Uh, how do you quantify size? Files, users, Wait, it all pounds, it all depends. <laughs> About 400 metric tons of <laughs> Angular code printed in dot matrix printer paper. Rather than any uh, specific <laughs> metric, just let, could we quantify them as small, medium, and large? Well, you know John has small hands, but that doesn't mean his applications aren't very big. But they are his own. Ooh, Ooh reference 90s. Nice. So, guys. So let, let, You know, Ward, nobody can hear you scream when I come for you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is with the pop references today. <laughs> uh, I, I know. Smaller, at the time, I yeah. most medium-sized apps, I think I'd written one massive app at that point. Okay. Uh, a lot of, tons of small ones, a lot of those with war kind of playing around, and then uh, a good number of medium-sized apps, too. Okay. So you've, you'd ar- you already had two solid years of experience in Angular on some relatively, you know, some big, some huge type type apps, and that's when you develop the style guide. And then from that point till the last time a change is made to it, how did it change over over time? So and something else to add there before I answer that, if you don't mind, is that it wasn't just what I derived from the style guide wasn't just from the apps I built. A lot of it was also from the apps that I helped consult with other companies on. Mm. So while I did not help them build some of these apps, uh, they were also from you know talking with XYZ, large company, who'd call me, we talk about the wrap. I'd come in, take a look at it with them, see what they built, and kind of look at the decisions that they had to make. So at least then I was able to learn, ooh, you know what? I wouldn't have done it that way maybe, but this is interesting because it solves that problem. Right. So there were a lot of other things that went into building that. Right, and we were talking, and I had a whole boatload of these apps that either I had worked on or, or IdeaBlade had worked on. And we had other people in the community, and there were other samples. There were things you could look at. So, you know, you could feel that you had a pretty good survey of apps of various sizes and trying to solve different kinds of problems, and the things had, had kind of settled. Just to mention something, I'm, I was highly disappointed at the time that you didn't come and talk to me about the apps that we'd been building and the stuff that we'd done, because some of the things that we'd invented didn't get into the style guide. I think it definitely would have been way better with my ideas. It would have been better if it was all your ideas, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, Joe, what don't you like about the style? Now you're on point, buddy. Oh, man. Uh, Actually, I think that there was one thing that we did. So I I worked at Domo. We had close to 100,000 lines of Angular back three years ago. So it was really by, by the way, before we go further, what do you use to do that? Is there a tool that will tell you how many lines of code you have in your thing? Yeah. Or did somebody actually write a script to do that? Yeah, no, there's a couple. I've, I've, got, to, I've, I've got to run that someday. I'm yeah. going to go Google it. I don't Keep talking. I don't remember what it. we used, but we had we did have metrics that countered our lines of JavaScript. And, and it, it was a little bit of it was a guess because it wouldn't say that, oh, this is actually Angular, and we, we were converting from Backbone as well. But we did a lot of stuff because it was a, just a ginormous app with like 20 front-end developers on it, 20 Angular developers. But the one thing that we did was we actually, in our naming conventions, we had this idea, you know, you divide up your application into areas by feature, right? Which is part of the style guide. But because of the fact that in one area, you could need like a developer service, and in a different feature, you might also want a developer service over there, right? So you'd have two services that both want to be called the developer service, right? 
And then what do you do at that point? Even if you have the naming convention that's like developer.service.js, it's still going to end up with the same name. So our idea was we came up with a two-letter, either two- or three-letter prefix for each of the feature areas to really namespace Angular. Because Angular is one big global, not gl- truly global. It's within it's global within Angular, one big namespace. We thought that was very innovative. But it, it definitely has its drawbacks. I don't know that that was the kind of thing that should make it into a style guide because it's just too a little bit too specific. But nonetheless, I thought that was pretty... That, that, actually, that actually came up. With, I've heard that several times. Uh, people, for example, would namespace it with maybe the module name, for example. Yeah. You know, like the feature name. That gets pretty common, too. I've, I've seen other variations of that, the namespacing, which definitely was an issue in Angular 1, right? There is oh, yeah. it's a big, huge global namespace. Yeah, I've seen, like, I know Dan Walleen, I don't know if he still does this, but uh, he's a good friend of all of ours, and one thing he had done at one point with some of his apps was not the file names, but inside the modules, like, the service, if it was developer service, like you're talking about it, he might actually name the service with the namespace as well. Mm-hmm. So when you're doing your injection, you can differentiate the developer services from the different modules, too. Right, so, yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah. We, it's, de- it's a similar issue, it's the same issue, right? Yeah, you have, yeah, yeah. To, you have to consider that. So we dealt with that. While we're on the subject, there's one other piece of the of your style guide I don't like, and that is separating the functions from having a, the function be separate from the line where you call the controller and create it, and you're just passing in the named function. I don't like that. You mean like where we say Angular uh, such and such module dot controller, and then right in there you're do, you're doing like an inline anonymous function? Is that what you're doing? Yeah. Although we would we would actually yes. make them non-anonymous by giving them make them named functions. Yeah, because you, so you would say, have the whole body in there. Yeah, but yeah. put the whole body in there. I don't like that. So okay. if we're ni- right. if, if we're going to complain about the style guide, then I want sure. that one out there. But that being said, can I just I don't think that's yeah? Can I just tell you why? Absolutely. But by the way, before Ward answers, this is the best thing about writing the style guide and having seventeen thousand people start and chime in is. I never have to talk about it anymore. Mm. <laughs> Everybody else has an opinion one That's way or right. the other. Yeah, it is. that is nice. Okay, Ward. So first, going back to your prefix thing, you know, we used to do that when we wrote COBOL, so it's good to know that the COBOL still lives. COBOL still lives. Uh, <laughs> but we had a thesis when John and I were talking about using the function names up there and then having the body down below. Mm-hmm. And that thesis had to do with readability and our thought that like a newspaper or, or table of contents, every, you know, you want to see what's going on above the fold. And when you had something that had a lot of methods on it, you wanted to be able to get at a glance what the API for that controller was or whatever it was that you were creating. And by using the function names, we were able to give you that at, at a glance. And then you could jump down if you were really curious about the details of a particular thing, and that was our motivation. And I still Lord, I don't think he's about talking that. about the function names inside of the controller. I think he's talking about the actual definition of the controller. Yeah, just the definition of the controller. So uh-huh. you say Angular dot module whatever dot controller, and it takes in two parameters. The first is the name of the controller, and the second is the function. Okay. The so it has the function defined elsewhere, and then you just put in the name of the, you pass you pass in the name yes. of the function, which would have For been me, about what three lines below. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so for me, it, it was white space and avoiding, what did, uh, what's that thing called, the Pyramid of Doom? Mm. Yep. You know, that, that nesting. Right. So that's what it was about for me with that. But mm. I do find a lot of people ignore that, not a lot, but I do find a good number of people ignore that rule and do exactly what you're saying, Joe. Well, and I think they that that, like to nest it. The, the, that is a, probably one that you would likely see ignored anyway because so many samples 
are shown with it in line and it's small and it's, and you, you learn from your samples, you grow from those, right? And then you get big and then all of a sudden you're thinking, crap, we need a style guide. And then you go and look and see and then decide at that point, hmm, do I want to do this? Yeah. Or I want to not do this, which that's actually a great part. I love that about the style guide. The style guide was great. It is great. There's still a lot of Angular 1 being written. It's great. And, uh, I think the most people, when they get to the style guide, probably get to it to the point where they might have an opinion or two and it's, a nice way to, and I have to plug this as well. The fact that every decision is documented as to why the decision was there, right? I don't know if you mentioned specifically that white space thing, but all the rest of it, I've read through the style guide recently. It's all documented why to do these things, right? And people are going to learn a ton of stuff about JavaScript, just in general and Angular in specific, by reading the style guide and seeing things they potentially did not know existed. Yeah, that yeah, was one of the most at... important things about that design, about the style guide design, was that so that people, that and the invitation to please go your own way, you know, the only thing we really think is critical is consistency. But before you go your own way, John says, we've actually, these recommendations aren't arbitrary. And, you know, he's thought about what the consequences would be of going one way or another. And, and you get to see those things so that when you make your own decision to go someplace else, you're aware of the consequences of the decision you make. All right. So I got to ask a couple more questions based on this same train of thought. One, did you ever consider putting in multiple recommendations for the same thing? Yes. And at some point we had a couple things that we had that for. And some of those have been trimmed quite a bit mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons. So one example I can think of right off the top of my head was naming conventions for controllers early on. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember them all because some of them are gone, but I'm sure in the GitHub history hasn't. At one point, uh, Ward helped me here on this. Like, we had a controller called Developer. You know, we, we were saying, this is what we see in the wild. You can call the controller, and I'm talking about the symbol, you call the controller developer or developer CTRL or developer controller. There was all these different naming conventions people would name the symbol with. And quite frankly, I think the rule at the time was pick one, run with it, and forget about it. Mm-hmm. And I got some feedback. Actually, at one point, the style guide kind of grew on its own, which is something we should talk about. It grew beyond, hey, this is I documented this because I wanted to remember it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it became people actually like this. And Igor called me up and said, uh, Igor Menard of the Angle team said, I would love to make sure I can go through this with you and approve it and kind of make sure it's what we have in mind and endorse it. And I said, cool. And he did that. And one of the things he pointed out was this isn't going to work in that particular rule I just mentioned. And I said, I agree, but I don't really know what the right way to go here is. I just think consistency is important. And he had some really good reasons for not using CTRL. He said in his experience from the Angular team, a lot of people were very confused over what CTRL was. Is it the control key? Is it a control, like an input on a page? Or is it the controller? Right. Uh, and this wasn't just coming out of his head, but people had actually said this to him. In Microsoft, CTRL is often an abbreviation of control as a yes. physical control, right? Visual control. Yep. And not giving it any suffix made it confusing in the context being used somewhere else because, okay, what is that now? It's developer. What the heck's a developer? A model or a what? So those two were two that he suggested getting rid of and just sticking with the controller suffix, even though it was longer, you know, IntelliSense autocomplete tooling makes that easy. So that was one that evolved and started off as being one of those uh, multiple options. So my next question related to that is, 
what did you do when you came to decisions where you didn't feel strongly about one way or the other and you almost felt like you're making an arbitrary choice? I usually grabbed a beer or two. (laughs) I can't think of a lot of those. I know we had many, but I'm I'm struggling to find an exact instance of one for Angular 1. I'll scan the doc and see, but I didn't like documenting things I didn't feel strongly about, to to put it very bluntly. Because I wanted to be a... Here was a... Sorry, I'm rambling. But what I'm thinking about is when I wrote something down in a guide, I made sure that I had a reason why. And there were several times when I wrote something and said, here's what I do. And then when I wrote the why, I came to a blank of, I just do it because I like it. Right. And to me, that wasn't enough of a reason, so I would delete that from the style guide. Hmm. Because I, think I there felt was some, like that's not good. Yeah, there was some back and forth about whether you register the thing with the module at the top of the file or at the bottom of the file, because Dan and you had a uh, different practice there. And, yep, and Dan was, likes the bottom and I like the top. Right. And then there was some confusion, I think, about what's the best way to indicate, you know, to beat the minification problem with uh, dependencies. You know, should I use the array? Should I put dollar inject on the class if I'm going to put, uh, you know, on the constructor function? Do I do that before or after the constructor function? So these are things that we could have gone back and forth on, and I think you just picked something, right, John? Yeah, and a lot of it's like the uh, injection. We ended up picking, but we found a reason why is kind of my point. For a while, we didn't add injection, meaning the ng-eject thing. And the reason we didn't is we were trying to figure out what we used it, uh, Ward and I both, and a bunch of other apps. It's not just me and Ward were doing this, obviously. But the people who were using it were using it a lot, but we couldn't define why. And then later, I realized the reason I do ng-eject, even if the tool that picks those up can find it on its own, is that I don't want to have to think about it when I write my code of, which ones are going to get picked up by the tool and which ones aren't. So therefore, it's really easy for me to just write a template that automatically sticks ng-inject on top of all these guys and just does the work for me. I so hate, that once I, I hate all that stuff. I hate the benefit. We ended up using, I don't know if it was ng-annotate. It it's ng-annotate now, right, is the common tool that people yes. use to yes. min-safe their code. But I think there's a precursor to that back it was. Uh, in the day. We used that. We used that, and then ultimately switched to ng annotate. I hate writing the annotation, the min safe stuff in my code, and I hate looking at it. I feel like it makes my code way less readable. And it's ugly. If you forget and remove an injection or add one, a dependency, a dependency, remove a dependency or add a dependency, and forget to add it in the stupid inject statement or to the array. If you do the, I hate the array's worse. The inject's bad. Well, right, because the array's it's awful. Different, but the array just looks horrible. And to be clear, Joe, I'm not talking about the dollar sign inject. I'm talking about actually sticking the comment at inject. At, what is it? At ng inject above the uh, statement. Wow. Because I I don't like listing them twice because it's so easily that they get out of sync. Mm, gotcha. So we were doing the comment, and actually today I probably would change that because when we wrote this, the ng inject tool, I think it's ng annotate as you mentioned, mm-hmm. it wasn't great at finding a lot of the situations on right. its own. Right. Now it's really good at finding a lot of those edge cases. And honestly, you know what drove a lot of that was when I wrote the style guide, people were avoiding using that. They're like, I don't want to use it. And then I would see issues being opened up against ng annotate of, uh-oh, my minification is breaking here, 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 and here, and the guy who wrote it was fixing them all as it went. Right. So just the mere fact of me telling people to do this because you're going to run into problems drove a lot of people to try it. They ran into the problems, then they listed the issues, and I believe the ng annotate tool now 
I only know of one place where you actually need to explicitly inject uh, or the tool won't find it, and that's when you define an object literal inside of a route resolver that's not pointing to a function that's named, and in that case, it has no way of knowing that you're actually injecting. May I just interject here and say I'm so pleased that the two topics we've spent some time talking about here are virtually disappeared right. when you write Angular 2. Right. Oh, I know. It's so much crap we had to do. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm just so thrilled that I'm, I, I mean, you can get into those situations, and, and of course we're talking about Angular 2 with TypeScript. Um, you're back in that soup when you, if you decide to write in straight up yes, JavaScript. Yeah. But, or ES6, I believe. But if you can write Angular 2 in TypeScript, so many of these concerns, uh, mostly, mostly disappear. And certainly the modularity ones. That's a great segue. Actually, I have a funny anecdotal something I'd like to just bring up, because uh, I kind of laugh about it now, is on Twitter, somebody actually commented on one of my blog posts that I wrote like two or three years ago about isolated scope. And this individual was like, this post is why it's so much better to use some other like kind of paid proprietary framework over Angular. And he was basically commenting on just how confusing the directive, you know, syntax for isolated scope was. Mm-hmm. And instead of smarting off, you know, I actually played the high card and engaged in some conversation and you know, we kind of arrived at some middle ground. But it kind of I kind of had to chuckle because isolated scope and you know Indirectives was really, really complicated. And, you know, right at the beginning, I was like, yes, confusing API aside, this is completely solved in Angular 2. It's input, it's output, and you're done. And so, you know, going from that confusing isolated scope syntax to just input and output is so much nicer. It actually deflates a lot of kind of those Angular 1 is confusing arguments Mm -hmm. for that reason. Right. So that's a good segue to the Angular 2 style guy, right? Where is it? Where is it? When will it be finished? Watch on. It's in your inbox, man. I want to know when it's going to be finished. Like, finished. It'll be done. No more changes to it. And why that's not already done. Why you didn't have that for us six months ago? Well, part of it is I have a day job. (laughs) So let me me kind of talk about where it's coming from. But let me also, I feel like I should qualify this with that. When I originally started writing the style guide, I didn't write it intending it to be what it's become. And I also didn't write it intending for everyone in the world to use it as their Angular guide, quite frankly. Uh, like most of the time when I blog, honestly, and doing the style guide, I did a lot of this because I was working with a lot of teams that needed it, and I found myself repeating the same things over and over again. So I wrote this for a small group of people and for myself to remember a lot of these things. And by the nature of what it was, uh, being public and open source, it just kind of picked up steam. So... It's not like I set out to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to make the one guy that he's going to use. Uh, it just kind of grew there. And I also would be remiss if I didn't say how influential Ward Bell was to putting this together because he really was uh, tremendously influential into making many of these decisions, unfortunately. So. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't like it, it's my fault. That's pretty much the way that boils down to it. you love it, thanks, John. Thanks, John. <laughs> and that's how it should be. It grew, or, it, grew, it grew organically out of conversations, and it's true. You set out to try and make sense of the world you lived in and help other people just sort of, you know, see it the way you did. And suddenly it turned it, it turned into a, a beast with its own life, and, and that was good, and it was good. And, that's, and the reason I kind of stress all that is the Angular 2 guide, there's this tremendous amount of, first of all, I'm not a guy who gets stressed out, but there is a tremendous amount of pressure from a lot of areas to, have it already exist. 
and be vetted and fine-tuned, brushed along the whole thing. It's perfect. And as I said, these things, it's just not realistic to say that anybody out there, including the Angular team, has built these massive apps that they understand the best way to build everything. But that said, uh, I have taken on the main, I guess, task of documenting a lot of this to figure out what are the things that we do know and what things will we know soon are we working on uh, so we can put this thing together. And for right now, I'm putting it out into my same GitHub repo, the Angular 1 style guide. But that's, I don't think that's going to be the final resting place for it. I think we're going to try to find a way to pull it into the docs. And I'm springing this on Ward right now, live. Uh, I, one idea I had is to actually, instead of doing some of these samples as markdown inside of the triple ticks, actually do embedded plunkers inside of the page to show people, here's what you do and here's how this works. And so some of these ideas are, are starting to evolve. But it's going to mean that not only are we going to need the community to help us, but we're also going to need people who are building the docs to help us, uh, like Ward's team, uh, Igor, who's designing Angular, uh, along with the rest of the Angular folks. We're going to need people building the CLI tool uh, and various other folks as well. Uh, there's a linting tool that I believe Minko is working on. So it's going to take a lot of people to contribute to say, these are the things we agree with, and this is what we're going to come up with here. Uh, to go with, and then there's going to be a list of open items, too, of these are things we're going to have to tackle, but we're not sure yet what the right way is. Yeah. I would parenthetically add, though, also, when you think about this, you're thinking about a guide to Angular 2 development with TypeScript. Am I right? Yes. Right now, that's where I'm leaning a lot of this, too. If you want to go back and use ES5 with Angular 2, quite frankly, a lot of the stuff's going to be the same as what's in the Angular 1 style guide, because it's still ES5-oriented. But I also think it's really, really, really painful to write ES5 with Angular 2. I wouldn't write ES5 with anything uh, that I could write ES6 or TypeScript with today, to be honest with you. And there's my big opinionated stance. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it would it would influence many, not all the decisions, but many of the the stylistic decisions. I think so. I just wanted yes. to put that caveat around it in case somebody was wondering. Exactly, asked a lot for the TypeScript version of the Angular One style guide, which I thought about making, but. Honestly, I think it's time to just you know put my efforts over to the Angular 2 guide instead. So, Joe, is there anything in particular you'd like to see in the Angular 2 style guide that we could talk about? Hmm. Well, I think we already talked about naming conventions, right? Uh, yeah, file names and symbols, pretty much the same structure as an Angular 1. Right. So we've already got that part of it. What about things like pipes? I don't smoke much, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Ward. No, I was going to say, Joe, tell us, tell us what's what's on your mind, buddy. You brought that one up. Well, I was just I was just curious if there's already like recommendations for naming pipes, dealing with pipes, that sort of thing. Yeah, you call them pipe. Dealing with pipe. <laughs> Foo dot pipe. I mean, that part we feel good about. The part that we're not so sh- sure about is whether and how much you how, how often you should write. Pipe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Should you smoke it or not? Uh-huh. Now, frankly, if I were to look back at the equivalent in Angular 1, the filter, I was reluctant to write filters then either because of the performance implications, and I always felt that the logic that was in a, pot, in a filter, especially if it wasn't reused, belonged actually in the component itself. So to uh-huh. me, there's two kinds of filters, Ward, and there's two kinds of pipes, right? There are, there are filters that I used quite a bit, which were, in my way, formatters. Right. Yep. Date filters, date pipes, currency filter pipes, whatever. Perfectly wonderful. But beyond that, honestly, I don't use filters or pipes for a lot of that kind of stuff. 
I felt like it was just too much performance hit, and I would just write my own custom logic. I think that that carries over to Angular 2, where it's actually very easy to write the equivalent of a filter, to write a pipe. You know, I like to think of them as formatters. And I'm very wary of them. And Joe, gosh, nobody knows this better than you from from the work you did on the pipe oh, yeah. structure. How risky it gets when you start trying to use a pipe to manipulate large amounts of data. Yeah, yeah. I think the one pipe I'm leaving out of all this too is the async pipe because I think that's a pipe that lends itself to a little bit more of discussion. Right. But custom pipes, yeah, it really is. And but I mean, as far as creating pipes go, I think they're easier in Angular too because there's actually you know there's an interface you can follow and it makes it easier to kind of know what you have to do and what you got to transform. But beyond naming convention at this point, I agree with Ward. I'm I'm still hesitant on creating pipes unless I absolutely have no other way. Yeah, I don't really want. Was this isn't necessarily supposed to be a discussion about pipes, but like (laughs) I've done these a bunch of work with pipes. I've seen the problems with them. I wrote the documentation. I asked Ward if I could write the documentation because the existing documentation I didn't think was sufficient. And I still feel like the documentation that I've written is not sufficient because there's a lack of guidance about when and when not to use pipes and really informing people about them. So pipes are not my favorite feature, not because they're not a great feature, but because I think they can lead you down into a rabbit hole that you might find to be a lot more bear traps in. That's a really good analogy. A rabbit hole with bear bear traps 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 that have snakes that bite you with venom. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Why did it have to be snakes? Right. Like, so pipes is formatters. Love it. Pipes is not formatters. Like, I think you got to really know what you're doing before you start. You got to be beware. Beware. Pipes as filters, not such a fan. Pipes as formatters. Yes. So, that being said, let's move on from pipes. What isn't in the style guide for Angular 2 right now, but definitely will be in the style guide, but just hasn't had a chance to make it in there for one reason or another. Well, first, if, if people want to check it out, if they go to the style guide and GitHub, they can check it out. And the one thing I've made a change on is I actually broke it up into three readmes, so it actually branches from Angular 1 to Angular 2. So you can check out what's going on in Angular 2. Uh, there are some things, I'll give you some what's in there and some what's not, uh, and that will be there. Some of what's in there is I was able to copy over a lot of stuff from Angular 1, things like the rule of one. That's in this guide, meaning you have one, one component per file, one thing per file, and recommended to be less than 400 lines of code. And I say that because I have seen more code in the last <laughs> five years that is like 5,000 lines of code in a file. And everybody gives me every reason in the world why that's justified, but I'm sorry. No. Hey, Lucas is just getting started at 5,000 lines. Well, <laughs> I've only figured out what I'm doing after like 5,000 lines. I'm like, all right, now it's time to get out of business. Now, but you, what you are saying, what I'm hearing is it's okay to have 5,000 lines so long as it's a single component. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, all right, to keep with this topic, I think that one thing that Angular 2 is going to benefit from is there is no Angular 1 seed that exists for Angular 2. For those who right. were around three years ago when the Angular seed project existed, it had a whole bunch of actually bad conventions in it. Oh, Joe, don't worry. There isn't going to be one Angular 2 seed. There are going to be ten of them. <laughs> At least. Yeah. At right. least. They're already out there. And my only really strong recommendation is don't use any of them. <laughs> So yeah, you know how many of the public yeoman generators that I or gulp generators or the slush generators I liked using in Angular One? Close your eyes and what do you see? Oh, nothing. <laughs> they were all painful because and you know, and there was nothing wrong with them in the sense of their opinionated versions of how to do something. But I just felt like people should have more choice. Right. 
Well, I've been recently playing with, I guess you would call it a seed project. Auth Zero, I think, made it. It's Firebase and Angular 2. And oh my yeah. goodness, that thing is a bear. It is a big beast. Now, it's great that it's all set up and does what it needs to do. But it's a, man, it is a complex starting point. That's for sure. It's not really, and it's not really a seed. It's actually a working project, but it's the kind of thing you'd be like, Oh, I want to do some angular, some Firebase with my angular two project. And this, it's like the most common one you'd find if you started Googling around for that. And you might use that and say, All right, great. I'll just start here rather than figuring it all out for myself and start manipulating it. And oh my, it is quite a thing. Yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of that stuff come out. Like the CLI team, command line interface team for Angular is trying to build something that's not only a generator, but it also does the build steps and the testing steps and the deployment steps and bundling, all that stuff. But it would be ideal, and I don't know where it's going to lead yet, but it would be ideal if the guide and the CLI kind of match up, which is one of the reasons I'm working with them to see where does this make sense. I think John and I also, we have frequent conversations about our hope that there are ways to move in small steps and to not yes. not have to just push a button and get, you know, this gigantic structure that you're wondering, what is all of this? So, you know, I, there's a constant tension between the structure that we think you're going to need someday and what you need to get started. And there's a real temptation to create that one starter set that's got it all. That strikes us, I think, as a, as a horrible trap. I've heard a lot of negativity about your quick start, by the way, Ward, which you were the author of, uh, yep. in one sense, which may not shock you. So the quick start, the intention was to start you off small as possible, right? And people could build on it. Well, I've seen some negativity lately on it because people have tried to use that as the basis for large-scale apps, and they're like, it doesn't really work. That's the tension that we talk about is because yeah. you need something that doesn't overwhelm you, but you can't assume that that's something that you learned on is going to carry you to a large application. So we need to be able to provide the kind of guidance that says, okay, now that you got there and you've exceeded the bounds of what that was intended for, how can you move stepwise to something that's more robust? I don't get, I, I, but I, I see us doing that. I don't get the uh, complaint about the quick start. I've, Used recently, I mean, I'm, I'm actually looking at it right now. I'm not sure that I understand the nature of the complaint with Quick Start because I guess it's not a skeleton for an app with 35 features already in it. But if it was to be a skeleton for an app with 35 features, how would you prename those features? In fact, even it is already a little bit more complex than you have to have, like the typings, for example. You don't have to have typings. Yep. To start off with, so it's already starting you down a, a, some good roads. I, don't, I, I guess is somewhat subjective, right? The real key is right, Joe. That when Ward and I kind of played it around, and, and this is something Ward and I probably spent way more hours on than anybody actually realizes. I'll, I'll bet you we spent two or three weeks <laughs> battling around start? how should it look. Yeah, Abs- absolutely. And that thing has been morphed so many times, and we're in constant tension with. Do we add this one more thing because that could break the count? You know, that could break people. And not in the right, sense that their code would break, but it would it wouldn't cease to be quick. It would be cease to be transparent. Right. So it's a struggle. It's a real well, struggle. Let me give you a concrete, tangible thing someone's complained about, and and I and I see their point. I really do. I want to have, and I'm playing the role of the person here. Um, it's one of the issues we hear a lot. I want to be able to not only put my Angular app in here, but I want to be able to have my Node server also in this folder structure. Oh. Right. And I don't like my source files to be in the root. I want them to be under a folder, maybe called source. 
So what they're simply asking for is instead of making app the folder you put everything in, you have like a source folder, which then has a client and a server folder. Mm-hmm. And then under the client folder, you've got an app folder, mm-hmm. which, which is fine. And honestly, that's what I do in my production apps. But when I, imagine the quick start now. You generate the quick start, you've got three levels of folders before you see, you know, whole world. And yeah, there's exact, yeah, there's two, there's two files in quick start that actually do anything in terms of what you can taste as a consumer of the app. And if it went, you know, I can imagine a quick start that went source slash client slash app slash, and now you got something and you know, people would look at me and say, what the heck are you doing? Well, Especially so since Angular 1 experience. Sorry, Joe. Angular one experience was, you know, you open a file, you you write a binding, you write, put an ng app in there, and you're you're ready. Right. You link to one, <laughs> link to one uh, CDN file, and there you go. You're up and running. Well, I, I think it's funny with the quick start that it only has it, it has one subdirectory app that has uh, two components. Well, the main t- TypeScript file and then a component as well in there, and which is crazy to put a fold a subfolder just for two files, right? Yes. Like, and from this standpoint, we just look at it by itself. It's like, wow, you didn't even need that subfolder. You could have just put everything in the root. Yes, and you know why that folder is actually there? Because Ward and I went through this part. <laughs> we were trying to get rid of it, but to get rid of it, we had to make special arrangements with the System.js loading. System.js doesn't like to load out of the root, does it? Yeah, we nope. got it to work, but it made System.js configuration really ugly. And we're like, you know what? I think people will be okay with a the folder. There's two ways to handle that, right? You can either just give it the exact extension in the system.js load, or you can do it in config, apparently. Yeah, or you could just avoid the extensions and just do them all in the import statements, too. And But the more you yeah. do that, it, you pay you pay an awful price right away everywhere else. It seemed the yes. cheapest price when we looked at all the variations. Like, if I just paste this thing in and can start writing, will I? Ha- how soon will I have to go back and touch that again? And this was the way to say, do it once, and then you're going to go. You're going to be able to spend many days before you have to go back and look at that again. Well, personally, so I reality agree. is, you're going to have a folder, right? You're going to have a folder yeah. eventually, anyway. Yeah, yeah, personally, I agree with that. You're going to have some subfolder. But the idea of, hey, we should, I got to put my notes over here. What, how does that help somebody who's using Java or .NET on their back end? Right, it doesn't. Yeah. No, right, right. You don't have the same concerns, so you're 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 catering to a, a subgroup of people. You know what else I hated in there, but I couldn't figure out what to do. Is you, know, you look at that index.html, and there's a gazillion oh. libraries at the top. <laughs> uh-huh. and the first the first three of them are just to deal with IE. Now I didn't have those there in the beginning, but then I, you know people would say it doesn't work. You know, and you say, what doesn't work? The quick yes. start doesn't work. Angular you- sucks. I'm going to react because exactly. you suck. That's oh, 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 you mean it doesn't work in IE or it doesn't work in Safari. Oh, and so I, you know, I just didn't want those calls anymore. So I throw those things in the top. This is the life of somebody trying to come up with something that is small enough to get you going. But and none enough. of these are Angular concerns, right? These are no, all not no. Angular concerns at all. Right. So well, outside of, uh, to not be too nitpicky here, why why do you have your scripts in your head instead of at the end of your body? Because I heard... <laughs> that sounds funny, sorry. <laughs> That's a question that I, I have tripped over. And what I learned 
if, um, oh gosh, he's one of the authorities on browser performance, is that that, that thing about moving them at the bottom, mm-hmm. there are two things about that. One, browsers are smarter than when that advice first came out, and so they do the right thing, so actually having them ahead doesn't hurt. The second thing is, to observe is that nothing happens Angular-wise until you get through those scripts anyway, so moving to them, the body doesn't leave you... You know, it doesn't make the page uh, start any sooner. It just ends, it, you know, it's... So go ahead, move them, see if it makes any difference. It won't. And since we're using a system loader, it's not like people are sticking in more scripts and are going to start filling up the head with slow-loading scripts, right? Right. Nope. Yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, the way we do it with, yeah, with a system loader, basically, you know, again, for development, is you load one file. Then it's, uh, you pay to play. Things load as you hit them. And for those who may not know this, if you're syst- the system.import statement, which is in the head, it's an asynchronous statement, so it actually doesn't start loading the file until the document's been completely rendered and loaded. Yeah, Plus, the- so- sorry, John, I wanted to say one more thing. The other part of the, the point of the quick start is that it's there to teach to help you start learning Angular 2. And there have been people who wanted to put performance improvements in, and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're so far away from figuring out how to package this thing up and minify it and optimize it and stuff like that. that that's not what this is about. This is about getting you going. And it's a very different ambition uh, than to come up with the optimal downstream solution for production conditions that I can't anticipate anyway. So we want to circle this back around to the style guide by talking about that, and that is that this is difficult when trying to teach people things and give them advice because there are varying levels of where people are at and what their needs are, right? And if you consider people in one category, you can potentially ignore people in another. So people who are just learning, well, you give them some advice that's simple and easy to learn. But later on, if they keep doing down, going down the same road, they might have some performance problems. If you give them more complex advice up front, maybe they wouldn't. They would be following a better performance pattern, but yet have a difficult, more difficult time up front. And that can happen. The same idea with the style guide, right? If you consider how you write the style guide, you ca- you've got to try to solve problems for the most, the largest set of people, right? You do, and, and you want to, at least I want to, when I'm de- defining this stuff, and I think when Ward's doing the quick start, the idea is we want to help people put them on a path that's easy to learn and won't leave them in a place where they're going to run into a brick wall later. So, for example, uh, we, I'm teaching my daughter to drive right now, and it's a fun experience, but I don't want to overwhelm her with every rule of the road when I'm driving. So... For example, we were learning how to take left turns the other day on a three-lane road. And she's asking me all these questions, and, you know, there's all these different rules about when you take left-hand turns, what you do, and, like, you know, she's referring to the book. I said, look, do you see the white lines on the road, the white dashes around the turn? She goes, yep. I go, just stay inside those. You know, just simple rules to the beginning. And what that does, it puts them on a path to see where they're going. And the other rule she picked up her own is, I'll just follow the car in front of me. Like, hey, that works too, right? Now, those aren't the rules of how you drive. There's no, like, law that says just follow the car in front of you. But learn when you're starting to get started with these things in Angular or driving a car that it's easier to learn simple rules first that won't later on drive you into a lake or, you know, or off a cliff somewhere. So in Angular, for example, in the quick start, a lot of these things and a lot of the style guide stuff is to say, hey, let's put you on a path where you can be successful in small chunks. And then when you want to grow and it's time to grow, 
There'll be no refactoring that's rewrite your app, but it'll be, okay, now I want another folder, or now I feel like I need a service and a components, or now I need to do this and split these out. It's always, let's just break things up more as opposed to, now i got to delete all this other stuff and start over. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I wanted to mention in Angular 2 some of the things that we uh, that we didn't discuss that are not yet in the guide, which people are clamoring over. <laughs> uh, and one of those is, what is the folder structure, and how do you define what's in an Angular 2 app? And I know there's a lot of opinions on this, and... There's no clearly defined, you know, great way yet. I have something in my head of what I think is probably going to be the way we end up running with based on a lot of feedback we've gathered. But I've seen many, many seed projects already, and Ward alluded to this, where people are defining these folder structures for Angular 2 apps, which um, I think it's hard to define what it's going to look like at this point because people are trying to take into consideration things like lazy loading. How's that going to work with modules and routes? Uh, how do you define features that could be promoted to an NPM repository or NPM package later? Uh, where do you put shared libraries? Do you do by feature still, or do you do by feature and then by type? Uh, so there's all these questions that kind of have to come out. And overall, I think the structures are going to look very similar to what's in Angular 1. But I think we're going to have to take into consideration some new things because technology has evolved and now things like lazy loading, we uh, we can actually make some different uh, changes that will improve it. But that's not there right now. I know we're sounding very diffuse. and uh, The fact is that there are certain emerging patterns that are Angular 2-ish, and we have to pull them together, but it's still, you're, what you're hearing is some hesitancy to codify them just yet. I'll give you another example. I have a feeling about how to organize to use the router, how to organize your code to use the router, but I don't want to mandate it yet until I've seen enough examples that prove it out, right? So there are some emerging patterns there that I think are going to turn into recommendations, but let's not jump the gun. Well, let me give you some tangible things that are there. So here's one uh, in the Angular 2 style guide, and I put the link in the notes, where it says defer logic to services. Might sound familiar from Angular 1. That still stays the same in Angular 2. We still want to take our logic out of our components and move them to services for sharing purposes and to keep those components slim and trim. Uh, another one might be, you know, hey, look, services are singletons. You know, so keep this in mind when you're when you're building things. However, you can also provide services. You can use the injector, which is hierarchical in Angular 2, to define services at multiple levels and have multiple instances if you want to. And I define some ways and how you can do that in the guide. But then we've got some things that are more stylistic, like, you know, how do you define your public and private properties? How do you sequence them? So all that stuff's there as well. When should you use decorators? When should you use the metadata arrays that are inside the add component decorator? We have little, you know, we have very specific recommendations along those lines, too. And one of my favorites, which I haven't written yet, but I'd love to put in here, is the concept of a barrel. Uh, I really like this. It didn't exist with the Angular 1 stuff, but it becomes really important in Angular 2. Uh, what a barrel is, is let me describe the problem. So we have, let's say, a folder called shared stuff. And inside of there, I've got five pipes because Joe likes pipes. There's five pipe files. And then we've got components and we've got some services and we've got some directives. We've got a whole bunch of things. They're all in this folder. And they might even be in nested folders under the shared folder. Okay, so let's say I'm building a component in another folder called, like, I don't know, customer's component. And the customer's component needs to use seven of those shared things. So now I've got to write seven different import statements because all seven of the things might be in different files. 
So at the top of my customer's component, I got seven lines of code that's kind of yucky. You know, that's a technical term for garbage. So we say import such and such from this shared folder, import such and such from that shared folder. And instantly your component looks really verbose and hard to read. So one of the ideas there is a barrel. Wouldn't it be great if we could just have one import statement at the top of that customer component that says, import these things from this shared folder? Well, we can do that by creating a barrel inside of the shared folder. And the barrel essentially is a file that does two things. It imports everything under the shared folder, and then it exports those immediately. So therefore, we have one point in the shared folder that says, go find everything under this directory structure, and then re-export it. And that way, our import statement stays really, really tight uh, inside of all the places that we import shared stuff. And this is something that Angular 2 uses, so that's why we can say things like import component from Angular 2 slash core, because they use barrels inside of Angular 2 to make it easier for us to not have to remember where is everything located. Did that make sense, or did I totally muff that? Sounds good to me. I mean, do you guys notice, like, a lot of times you're writing demos, you end up with a component, and you've got, like, 20 lines of imports at the top of the page, oh, yeah. and it's like, what happened here? Yeah. So the barrels uh, solution to that, because I, I got tired of showing demos in front of people and their their jaws hitting the floor. Angular 2 looks hard simply because they see all the import statements. So that was a way to help solve that. All right. Well, I think that we're reaching the end of the time for the episode anyway. This was actually a really awesome episode. love episodes like this and uh, very interesting for the near future as we see the style guy get fleshed out. So we've got Links in the show notes to the style guide. I think it's also very easy to find it if you just Google Angular style guide because it gets to the one repo that links to both style guides. Angular 2 style guide is in a pretty short form right now, of course, right? Yep, there are only about uh, 20 rules in it right now or 20 guidelines in it. Right. So a great place to check out for more reading. Let's move on to the pick, shall we? Ward, do you want to go first? I'm picking the Warriors. You know, uh, like you've got the Star Wars to follow. I am watching Warriors basketball, and I'm loving it. Of course, I'm I'm from here. So, you know, if you're not writing in Angular 2, then you should be watching the Warriors. Awesome. The Star Warriors. Hey, pardon? <laughs> Star Wars. Nice. Nice, Lucas. Nice. Hey, Ward, what do you call a Warriors fan two years ago? A Lakers okay. fan. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a bandwagon guy. You know, as soon as they suck again, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. They are playing the Jazz tonight. They are. Yep. And you know what? They got on a plane at 2 a.m. in the morning last night after playing a hard game, and they have to play again tonight. It's not fair, but they're still gonna win. Life's rough. Life's rough for those guys. I feel bad for them. I do. Yep. Yep. Crying in my beer over it. My root beer, of course. I don't drink beer. All right, Lucas, how about you? So my pick this week is the NPR Tiny Desk Concerts, which you can find on YouTube. And it's just basically they have people come in and do concerts at the desk of the NPR offices. There's just a ton of really great acts. I've kind of discovered a lot of really neat artists that I I didn't know about. And then my sub-pick is uh, there's a band called Snarky Puppies, which also did like this NPR concert, and I had forgotten about them. But Matthias Woloski, who is one of the co-founders of Auth Zero, his brother Marcello is a percussionist uh, for Snarky Puppy, and it's kind of this jazz fusion band that's just super awesome. And so uh, my picks this week are the NPR Tiny Desk Concerts and Snarky Puppy. Super awesome music. Awesome. 
John, how about you? Uh, I've got a couple here. One is I'm really excited to uh, pass along the news that hopefully most of you heard by now. Microsoft is adding the Linux command line to Windows 10. So we're actually going to have full bash, not sigwin but real bash running on Windows. So some of us, I know, Joe, you're a Windows guy, right? Yep. Well, so this yes, be pretty yes cool. I'm a Windows and Mac guy. I'm half and half. Yeah, and I've, I'm mostly Mac, but... Uh, the right half of me is Mac. <laughs> well, you know, the, well, the reason it's exciting to me is most of my developers at work actually use Windows, so this will make their lives a little bit easier so they don't have to convert over. But I am a Bash Shell guy, though. On Windows, I only use a Bash Shell, which, when I record Pluralsight courses, I'm sure confuses a lot of Windows developers. Yeah, it's going to be pretty exciting to see where this leads. And, you know, to, e- to even think how monumental this is, I mean, me being a guy, I used to work at Microsoft five years ago, and back then, to think that they would do this, I mean, you would, like, be walked out of the building. <laughs> you know? So it's pretty monumental to see this change. Uh, the second pick I have, something called RAML.org. It's a RESTful API modeling language, and they pick themselves as a, an easy way to design APIs. It is YAML, which I'm not a huge fan of, but it's a great way to think of like, think of like Swagger for APIs. Instead of documenting so much, you can actually design the APIs using a YAML structure, and then it'll kind of generate some of this stuff out for you. So it's kind of neat. It's something I've been playing around with, and it's, uh, it's a nice little tool. Oh, and by the way, I'm picking Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. Good job. Good job. All right, is that it, John? Yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> 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 Thanks for being so respectful. No problem, Joe. All right. Well, I also want to be Star Wars as I just saw it for the sixth time. You guys. But instead of picking actually anything, I want there's one pick that I want to make, and that is I want to pick listing. So there's been a ton of stuff I've been reading about on the internet, some controversies in the tech world, uh, other things, and. The politics that are going on, the one thing that I keep running into over and over again is a whole bunch of people shouting at everybody else, wanting them to listen to their opinion, and being completely unwilling to listen and be respectful to other people's opinions. And There, there was a tweet that John, you sent out a while ago related to this, and I just, it's actually been sort of not just on my mind, but actually like a bother to me recently, like how incapable people can be of saying, I disagree, but I'm willing to at least listen and hear your side of the story, and in the end, make the assumption that you don't choose your opinion based on the fact that you're a horrible person, but instead that it makes sense to you. You mean like how we talked about the style guide and how you disagreed earlier? Yeah, exactly exactly like that. I mean, it's it's the way you should take it, right? I mean, there's no offense on either side. You just state your points, and... Why can't all developers have conversations like that, Joe, huh? Yeah, yeah. So there's been definitely some just interesting stuff and people getting really upset about at other people for the decisions that they've made that and the just an inca- inability in people being completely incapable of just being able to sit and say, all right, tell me what you think, and in the end, we're, I'm still going to do what I was going to do, but at least now I understand what you're saying and why you're saying it, what your opinion is and what your position is. And uh, I think that the world needs a lot more of that and gets very little. And I see it all the time on the Internet. In fact, it comes from the people who are telling other people that they are not listening. <laughs> it's amazing how little people listen to each other. 
So, and I, I, I'm probably no better at it than anybody else, but I certainly see. We all, we all do it, man. We all do it. And I think it's important to remember sometimes, how would you feel if you were on the receiving end of what you're about to say? Right. Yeah, absolutely. The ability to say, I disagree, but I will listen to what you have to say. You listen to me. We'll understand each other, whether we agree or not. Because people are never, never going to get everybody to agree, but at least they can sit and listen and understand and be respectful. And we need a lot more of that in our world. So that's my pick. I said, well said, Joe. I appreciate yeah, that. Kind of a rambling statement, but there's my pick. So, all right, that's it for our episode. Thanks, guys, for uh, an engaging and uh, fascinating conversation. And thanks for all of our listeners. We'll be back again next week. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today.